you know, one of the things that I'm most concerned about is climate change. And I think the impact of, of the globalization of all networks, of all manufacturing, of all retail, of our entire world, uh, the cost of that, the environmental impact of that is going to start being factored into, into the way these networks work and, and, and sort of accounting for the true cost of that. So uh, I think Zometry is going to try to start, start uh, calculating that and, uh, and uh, showing our customers even if it's not directly being uh, uh, taxed that way or, or that cost hasn't been shifted yet to individuals, I think we're going to start showing people what it is and, and seeing if we can be at the forefront of, of helping you know, combat this, this dramatic problem that we all face. Hi there, and welcome to Macro. Micro. Michael. Marco and Startups at the Edge. Otherwise known as M4Edge, the show about startups with technology that can change how the economy functions. Technology that will change how the economy functions. That is changing how the economy functions. (laughs) Indeed. We're closing out our first season with three bonus episodes. In each of these bonus episodes, we check in with our first three guests on the show. Greg Malholland of Citrine Informatics, Dipanvita Das of Sorcero, and Randy Altshuler of Zometry. These three really perfectly capture much of how tech is changing the economy. At Zometry, for example, they're changing how manufacturing supply chains function, and with their heavy integration of 3D printing, changing how products get made. It's been a year since we first interviewed Randy, and Zometry has had a year of impressive growth. They raised $55 million in Series D funding expanded their global partnerships, including with Alibaba of China and Bosch in Germany, and a couple of important ideas that Randy had hinted at in our first podcast have now become reality. Zometry is a manufacturing-as-a-service platform. They originally had a heavy, though not exclusive, focus on 3D printing, but they realized that the power of their platform does more than connect buyers and sellers. The collective buying power of the suppliers on their platform gives them, through Zometry, a pricing leverage as a purchaser of parts that they wouldn't otherwise have. Zometry is truly changing the dynamics of global supply chains. Randy also talks about how manufacturing as a service helps companies hedge against events like work stoppages and strikes, and against environmental events like floods and fires. Having a distributed supply chain and manufacturing base has multiple benefits. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for being curious. Randy Altschuler of Zometry, welcome back to M4Edge. Great to be here. Randy, the conversation we had the first time around was one of the most exciting, most interesting, especially the discussion on manufacturing as a service and the implications, the both the micro and macro implications it has. So we're very curious to catch up with you and see what is new. One thing which is we know is new from the last time we talked is you've announced a partnership with Alibaba. So do you want to kick off with that? Sure. You know, I think in the last year since, since we spoke, uh, Zometry has continued to grow very rapidly. We've also been becoming much more global. So uh, we're now looking at, as we do a relationship with Alibaba, uh, and that's been a great relationship for us as Alibaba is looking to increase their footprint here in the United States. 
and engage with American manufacturers. Uh, a lot of their customers, millions of their customers are Americans as well. Some of that is it gets channeled to, to China, so suppliers there, but they're also trying to build out uh, a supplier network here in the United States. And you know we're happy to partner together with, with Alibaba on that because a lot of our thesis and a lot of the idea behind Zometry is to improve the local manufacturers. And right here in our in the United States, we've got a few thousand of them on our platform. So if we can give them exposure to greater and greater sets of customers, whether or not it be Zometry customers or customers that are coming from other uh, channels, we're happy to do that. Uh, so that's been an exciting partnership for us. That's outstanding. And we'll come back on the global aspect of it in a moment. But something else which I think is interesting is uh, when we had our podcast discussion, you left us with a teaser. You said that the Zometry was working on new projects to help your customers improve their performance, but you couldn't talk about it. And then later you launched the Zometry Supplies. So do you want to tell us a bit how that works? Yeah. So uh, the key to Zometry is our supplier network. It's all about helping our manufacturers uh, do even better with their business because the better that our 3,000 manufacturers can perform, we can that value can translate directly into more value for the, the end customer. Um, so our growth, our success is largely dependent on the growth and success of our partner network. So we thought one way that we could help our partners was to make it easier and less expensive and more efficient for them to purchase the materials and tools they need to actually manufacture the parts they're making for Zometry and the parts they're making for all their customers. Because the healthier they are, the better partners they're gonna be for us and the better they're gonna be able to perform their jobs for, for customers. So um, we launched what we call Zometry Supplies. And in that instance, we are selling to our manufacturers the supplies, the cutting tools, the shop supplies that they need to manufacture parts. And because Zometry can consolidate the purchasing power of thousands of manufacturers, we can buy and deliver those materials and tools at better rates and at faster delivery times than an average small manufacturer can do it themselves. Uh, and if we can integrate that into our platform and make it really simple and somewhat seamless for our manufacturers to buy those materials and procure them, that's even a bigger benefit. So uh, we, we started rolling that out. Today we have over 150,000 SKUs uh, that you can buy online from our store. Wow. We also uh, do custom cutting of aluminum. So we've got a facility in Kentucky where we're custom cutting uh, aluminum. And so if, a, uh, if anybody wants to come, but particularly if our suppliers come to our site and order that custom cut aluminum before noon, uh, they'll get it the next day. And we do that in all sorts of different cuts. Like I said, they can, they can specify the dimensions and it's at a super competitive rate. So uh, this translates into just better lead times for our suppliers. Uh, it translates into making their lives easier and allowing them to focus on what they love to do, which is to manufacture, not necessarily spend your time trying to find material and tools on the web and, 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 and wasting all that administrative burden. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I remember um, one of the conversations we had back then was about how suppliers get uh, qualified to be part of the, the Zometry network. Does um, purchasing equipment that you guys are, you know, supplies that you guys are already selling them, does that speed up that qualification process? You know, they have the, the right tools already? 
You know, I wouldn't say that it, we, we don't, you know, it's still very important for us that we vet the suppliers before they, they join our network. So I wouldn't say that that, uh, it, it's, it, I wouldn't say that that allows them to, uh, we still want to have that rigorous process in place, but it does make us closer with our suppliers. Uh, and one of the reasons why we also launched supplies was also to make it, we want our suppliers to want to work with us as well. We want them to say, hey, one of the easiest ways to do business is to work through the Zometry platform. So that makes it more contingent on us to, on us as in Zometry, to make their lives easier. The same way we, we focus on the user experience, people always talk about a UI for, 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 uh, for customers. And in this case, our customers are our suppliers and we have to make their lives easier. That way they'll contribute more to our platform uh, and ultimately, their contribution to our platform will translate into better service for our customers. Um, we want to make it easier for everybody to do business through our platform rather than doing it outside of our platform. I, I want to go back. You know, we started out on Alibaba and, and Marco said we'd get back to the sort of global piece. And I said, I want to, I want to go there. And I'm wondering if any of the trade uh, war issues or any of the trade news has affected both your relationship with Alibaba, there being a Chinese company, or your relationship with your partners, supply chain, et cetera. How have global tariff, you know, either threats or wars uh, affected the way you're doing business? Yeah, so it, it is not, uh, in large part, it hasn't affected the way we do business. I think it makes everybody nervous and it's and it's a distraction. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a supporter of free trade and, and I think ultimately, Companies need to succeed on the international playing field, and we should try to make that playing field open and 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 uh, level for everybody. So I'm not a, I'm, I don't like all this saber rattling around trade wars and 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 tariffs. Um, so it's not helpful, but I would say it hasn't impacted our business yet. Uh, I look as an American, I think it's very important that we are an active player in international trade. And we need to be a participant in multiple trade agreements with lots of different regions around the world. Um, we are only hurting ourselves when we turn inward and, and put in place protectionist uh, barriers that in the end will fail. And so I, I, I believe in American ingenuity. I believe in our spirit. And I know that if we can, we can compete along with anybody else and we should compete. Uh, that's the best way to succeed. And, and in the end, we'll do great. America does do great when we're out there along with everybody else being active trading partners. Um, that's, that's what, that's what, that's what Zometry is about. And that's what I'm about. And I'm fully on board on, with that. And already I wanted to keep you on this macro side for a second longer, because, uh, Together with the discussion on trade wars, there's a lot of discussion in the newspapers on uncertainty and the impact it is having on economic growth, on investment. And I've learned to distrust pretty much everything I read in the media. And I'm curious to hear from somebody like you, you work every day with large and small companies. What do you feel is the mood of manufacturers? How are they reacting? So, um I'd say a couple of things. One is I would, we have, we, you know, our business is going to more than double this year and the growth is not decelerated. It's actually accelerated. So I, I would say that the manufacturing market is, uh, is very robust still. Uh, I do also think there is a shift towards digital. So more and more people are becoming comfortable buying online. I mean, 
we're out there. There have been a lot of now competitors that are springing up because, uh, you know, this industry is growing. So I think that sector in general is, is quite healthy and that growth will continue. Uh, and with our suppliers, I am not seeing that they are struggling either. So they themselves have their own set of customers beyond working with Zometry. And I have not seen suppliers going out of business. I haven't seen suppliers uh, hurting. You know, the caveat to that would be we have suppliers in, in places like Michigan that did get impacted by the, uh, by the strike there. We have suppliers in, in certain regions that have been affected by the weather. So we have our biggest supplier network is actually in California, and the, and the fires there have had an impact. So I'd say those sort of, uh, those sort of uh, events have, have had an impact, but overall, I think uh, manufacturing is still strong, particularly in the custom manufacturing space, where there's a continuing trend towards uh, smaller batch sizes, faster iterations, uh, integration of new technologies like 3D printing, those trends are accelerating and that plays perfectly into the Zometry ecosystem. On the contract manufacturing side, that may be a different story. Uh, if we were a platform for doing contract manufacturing for automotive, for example, that I think would be a different. If you're in every car, you probably are seeing some slowdown there. Um, and I think go back to the international side, we have more interest in the Zometry platform now from people around the world than we've ever had before. So um, even if, if our politicians and others are talking about protectionism and, 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 and focusing inward, I think the, the larger manufacturing community is smarter than that and are saying, hey, this is a global world we live in. We want to be part of, in our case, a platform like Zometry that enables that to happen. So. So you, you, you touched on something pretty interesting um, with the GM strike in Michigan and the fires in California. Um, does, have you seen um, customers using Zometry's sort of multi-location flexible supply chain as a form of insurance against those kinds of events? A absolutely. I think one of the appeals that we have for, for customers is particularly when they're working with smaller manufacturers, there are inherent risks to that, whether or not it's a business risk or if it's a weather-related risk or if it's a, some, some sort of other exogenous risk that, that normally wouldn't be associated. We can, we can buttress them against that and because we can place that with another supplier. But it works both ways too because we're also there for our suppliers. And, and again, we're only as healthy as our suppliers are. So when those fires you know, as they're ongoing, as they're going on, we're reaching out to our California suppliers and saying, we are there for you. We will help you during this time of need. And by the way, your fellow manufacturers will as well. Uh, we had an instance a couple of years ago when one of the storms in, in Florida wiped out, literally wiped out one of our local manufacturers. And we uh, launched a fundraising campaign. I forget which we used, uh, one of the fund me page. And not only did Zometry contribute to it, but a lot of our other suppliers did as well. And that's that's part of us being successful, showing our suppliers in California, showing our suppliers in, in Michigan, hey, we're there for you during the hard times. So for them and also, as you said in the beginning, for the customers as well for an insurance policy. It's actually remarkable. It's, it's a very powerful demonstration of how once you create a platform which creates the infrastructure for an ecosystem, it actually develops into a real community because people realize the, inter the interdependence that ties them together. It's a very powerful example. Yeah. It is, it is. I think that the challenge for, for us is to remember or to continue to 
treat our partners as customers as well. As I always tell our team, everybody's a customer presometry, whether or not you're manufacturing for us, whether or not you're buying supplies from us, your customer, et cetera, we need to have that attitude towards everyone. And, and, and that respect is so important, particularly for our manufacturers. They're in this business because they love manufacturing. Uh, the respect that you need to treat them with is absolutely critical. That, that's what will really create that vibrant community and get them to trust you. Don't just treat them like a vendor. Yeah, that's exceptional. And I was curious about something else, which is you're deepening your relationship with large companies. Earlier in the year, I think you had a series D round of funding, funding which was very substantial, I think $55 million. And I think it was both Bosch Venture Capital and Dell Technologies Capital which participated. What are you learning? We discussed this in the first podcast, but what are you learning now from your interaction in cooperation with large companies? Yeah, so uh, so a, a couple of things. Uh, one is particularly when we talk about Bosch and 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 BMW is also an investor. You know, we we will uh, we have pledged to be in Europe, and we will hopefully very shortly be be uh, be talking about that and extending our network into Europe as well. So we're very excited about that and the ability to to service European customers, to service American customers we have that are European operations and to expand our network into Europe itself. So stay tuned, but we're, we're working very actively on that. And that was one of the reasons why we were so thrilled, among other reasons, to have Bosch become an investor, as long with, you know, we've already got BMWs, so we've got a strong nexus right there in Germany. And when you talk about manufacturing, uh, obviously Germany is, is a key place to be. Um, and so... Um, I'm trying to remember the first part of the question uh, before I went off on that tangent. Yeah, the first, first part was uh, what, what are, are you learning? What are you learning? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, these large corporations, whether or not it be Dell or BMW or, or even GE and, and Bosch, there's multiple things. So first of all, they're, they're chock full of experts in manufacturing, in supply chain, uh, in uh, quality systems. And we've been blessed to have investors within these companies that give us access to that wonderful talent pool within those. So the ability to find an expert uh, with a phone call in these world-class companies, these world-class black brands, uh, like Adele, et cetera, that's sort of unparalleled. And so we've gotten access to that. And those are folks who've just got the resources we would never have as a still small growing company uh, after six years. So that's a, a great thing. They also have their own supplier networks. And so we're working to try to incorporate some of their best suppliers into the Zometry network. Uh, and that's a win-win for them because we're helping ensure that their suppliers are healthy beyond just the business they're getting from, the, from these manufacturers, but they're healthy as part of our ecosystem. And obviously it's a win for us as well. Um, and so those are a couple of different areas. And also as new emerging technologies come out, some of our uh, investors are also participants in those new technologies. So, um, you know, BMW and Bosch and Dell and, and, and GE are at the forefront. GE obviously doing a lot of work in 3D printing. BMW has 3D printed parts in their cars. Bosch is constantly trying to figure out how to, how to integrate those technologies. Uh, Dell's leading edge in a lot of places. Again, those learnings, uh, the companies that they're interacting with that provide those technologies, they're creating those bridges and introductions to us. That's invaluable as well. I mean, these are, these are world-class manufacturers who are helping build our network and helping build our knowledge base. You, you can't get that from a traditional venture capitalist. Do you have, I don't, I don't recall offhand and I, I don't have the uh, 
Crunchbase stuff open right in front of me. And in addition to these companies, venture arms as investors, do you also have any traditional venture companies that are investors? We do. So some of our investors include the Foundry Group, which is uh, based in in Boulder, Colorado. They've just been wonderful. Uh, we also have Highland Capital Partners, who is our first institutional investor based in Boston. Uh, and then in this last round, uh, Greenspring, uh, which is based right here in Maryland, uh, led that round. And so they're a uh, Greenspring is a later stage investor, uh, more of a growth investor well as a fund of funds, invest in other funds as well. So, um, and then we've got a couple other smaller, smaller groups part uh, of as well. So, so talk a little bit, if you can, about the differences between the traditional VC sector and the um, large company VC arm. Do they have different risk tolerances? What are they looking for from you that, that differs if, if there are differences between those two you know, types? They're both wonderful, and I'm, I'm so happy that we have the benefit of having that combination as part of our investor base and as part of my board. So I have different people sitting on my board, some from traditional venture, some from uh, from the you know corporate venture side, and then we've got uh, you know got some operating people, Fabio Rosati, uh, who uh, was the uh, CEO of, of Upwork, uh, who just offers a tremendous uh, set of experience. So good combination of it. Um, you know, the pure tech folks give us access to um, technologies that are outside of uh, our playing field, outside of manufacturing. So the corporate VCs we deal with tend to be focused on certain, you know, they have specific things that are relevant because they try to invest in things that are relevant to their corporations as well. So they don't go that far afield. Obviously, the other venture uh, capitals, particularly ours, do much broader things. Uh, that can be helpful because we can learn from other platforms. We can learn from other marketplaces that might not read, might not uh, easily be seen to be relevant to us. So, but that said, they are very relevant. So, Upwork is probably a perfect example of that. Upwork's a, a marketplace for for um, for people doing you know small amounts of contract work, whether it's word processing or even programming, etc. Very different than custom manufacturing. Yet, a lot of the learnings that Upwork had in their platform, uh, now it's a public company, are very relevant to us. And as we developed our, even our quality system, Fabio Rosati had some great feedback from his time at, at Upwork. And uh, you see similar things with the foundry companies or the Highland companies or the Greenspring companies where different industries, but things that we can learn from. And, and those, those venture firms are very successful in cross-pollinating their teams. So uh, whether it's an email list or it's actually a meeting of, of, of CEOs or CFOs or heads of marketing and sales, they all offer these different things. And those are just, those are just tremendous. Not only they're just interesting, but you also can learn a lot. And, and I'm not afraid to say, hey, I, I saw something that was happening in retail. May not be Highland Capital uh, was an investor in Harry's, the Razor guy. May not seem obvious why that's relevant. But by the way, there's something Harry's doing that we should be doing here at Zometry. That you, you, that's a, a fabulous thing. And speaking of learnings and changes, Randy, you've been growing, you've kept growing at a fantastic pace since we spoke last year. Any challenges you've encountered or significant changes you've needed to make to your, your operations to cope with the growth? Um, look, I think as, as, as uh, all entrepreneurs know, uh, even six years into it, every day is a uh, is a crazy day with lots of highs and lots of lows. Uh, as you get bigger, uh, there are just more highs and more lows. So uh, 
I think it's the challenges people would expect. You know, we're, we're close to 300 people at the company. So, um, I can't personally interact with everybody as much as I would like to. Um, now there were multiple locations that makes it harder as well. So culture is more and more important. It always is, but as you get bigger, it becomes even more important. Um, as everything comes, you know, two degrees of separation, three degrees separation. Um, so, you know, building a healthy HR function, a people systems function, uh, a training function, uh, those sorts of things become absolutely paramount uh, if you're going to succeed. That's how you're really going to scale um, and uh, and keep things tight. I'd say right now that that's something that that we're we're trying to get better at. We're going to close, I think, with a final question. And um, rather than ask you look ahead twenty years, maybe tell us about the next year. You know, where do you see Zometry uh, on the eve of twenty twenty one instead of on the eve of twenty twenty? So I'd say two things. One is uh, much more global. And uh, we'll see that very, you know, hopefully very shortly as, as we, we branch out and, and we're going to be doing that aggressively. I also think, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm most concerned about is climate change. And I think the impact of, of the globalization of all networks, of all manufacturing, of all retail, of our entire world, uh, the cost of that, the environmental impact of that is going to start being factored into um, into the way these networks work and, and, and sort of accounting for the true cost of that. So uh, I think Zometry is going to try to start, start uh, calculating that and, uh, and uh, showing our customers, even if it's not directly being uh, uh, taxed that way or, or, um, or that cost hasn't been shifted yet to individuals, I think we're going to start showing people what it is and, and seeing if we can be at the forefront of of helping, you know, combat this this dramatic problem that we all face, and I, I think you're going to see that happening more and more, even with things like Amazon, etc. Yes, it seems really cheap to buy something from somewhere else really quickly. What is the true cost of that to our environment? I think we need to start factoring that in, and I think we're going to be forced to. And we'll see what happens with the elections here in the United States, etc. But I but I hope governments around the world will will begin to push that cost. Um, make sure that people are paying it. We we have to. That's great. When you say that the carbon cost, um, even if it's not formally priced in, you mean more than the transportation cost, the the carbon associated with shipping, or do you do you, are you including the carbon intensities of the different manufacturers? Like, I think I think to start, it's more for us just on the shipping side. Yep. Uh, I think that alone, I think we're going to try to, you know, I think that'll be the first step for us to, to give people the ability to maybe offset some of that if they're interested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I think, again, I think eventually that's going to be somewhat regulated. I think it's going to have to be. And then I think, as, as you point out, maybe we start going down that road as, as I think we will eventually as to what's more efficient, et cetera. Um, we'll see how, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. All right. Wonderful. Thanks again for speaking with us and, uh, you know, good luck uh, on your continued journey. All right, thanks, Andy. Good guys. luck. Thanks to the folks over at Podblade for editing this episode. Podblade is an affordable podcast editing service focused on making podcasting more accessible by offering all-in-one podcast editing, starting at just $20 per episode. We learned the hard way that audio editing is one of the most time-consuming parts of the podcasting process. That's why we're now using Podblade to edit our shows. Check them out at podblade.com. That's podblade.com. And tell them M4Edge sent you.